0: Guys, let's open our hearts wide this evening to George. Let's welcome him.
1: Wow. wow, thank you so much. That was such good worship. Such good worship. Would you please thank uh, Ryan and the team who are up here. Just give them a shout out. Um, would, you, would you indulge me if I ask for a few adjustments? Would that, would that be okay? You're not sure. But at least you can send me back tomorrow. Could we have the fluorescent lights off again, please? Could we, could we have the fluorescent lights off all the way to the back? Yeah. Just be patient. Could, could somebody bring me, please, um, one or even two of the really cool bar stools next to the coffee machine, the ones with the wood on the top and the yellow cha- legs, would someone? There you go. Someone do that. W- would somebody be able to take uh, the thing as tall as me? I have rules against that. Um, out of the w- mark. CrossFit. CrossFit. Um, are you okay there? Okay. Usually in CrossFit something breaks. So I'm just. I'm just. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you, bro. Matching your pants and everything, it's just so incredible. Thank you. Um, I, I have a, a two part conversation uh, I'd like to share with you um, tonight. So, so big, big night tonight for Christianity in South Africa. Um, n- not because I'm here and you're here. Uh, Hillsong's movie is released today in movie houses across the country. Um, a movie devoted exclusively to the story of the gospel of salvation through music around the world. And I hope you knew that, and I I hope you're you're excited about that. We were privileged enough to be able to get the license to um, show it on a large LED screen in our church tonight uh, on the same night. And so um, I just got a text to say about 900 people have shown up to watch... um, To to watch the movie, and I I, I think that's really awesome. And please get your churches to support it. There is a critical first week um, of of attendance that determines how long cinemas keep it on the circuit for. And so, if you would if you would go and watch, um, it'll help uh, Hillsong keep that movie on the circuit. Uh, longer. Are, are you okay with that? Are, are you good with that? So I, I think that's really exciting, exciting to see uh, a concept uh, like that make it on the big screen. Very, very exciting. I also wanted to say thank you to George Goulet. Yeah, Where are you, George? Would you come up here quick? Would you take a seat over there for a moment, just right over here? How nervous see you right now. Yeah, that's the thing. So, two Georges on the stage right now.
2: Um,
1: I can neither confirm nor deny at this time. Um, so, I just, I feel like um, it would be good to just thank you for opening your house yeah. and for giving me your cup of coffee when I got here. <laughs> I
2: didn't make it, but I gave yeah.
1: it. <laughs> yeah. He didn't make it, but that, you, you don't take away your... Your compliment moment, bro. Take it away. Don't do that. Don't do that. You deserve a compliment over a cup of coffee. And I thought maybe um, before we started, we just pray for him in his house. Would that be okay? You good with that? Are you okay with that? So there are a couple of things I would do different here in this building. If I were reaching for like young people. So can I tell you about that sometime? Would that be okay? Please do. Not right now. Not, right, not right, now. right now. You can put your hands down now. You're adopting the resistance pose. Um, you, just, you just relax and it's okay. Uh, um, yeah. Um, here's the thing, and it's, uh, if you can make notes in the dark. Um, uh, Here's the conversation I want to have with you, and why I'm I'm even doing this, and why I asked the lights to be off, and why I mentioned that earlier. I want to talk to you tonight about tipping points. And the definition of a tipping point is a series of small steps that cause for you to reach an irreversible place. And I really want to encourage you, having gotten to know some of you, it's not big steps. It's consistently applying a series of small steps. Amen? In a, a couple of minutes without spending one rand, we changed the atmosphere of the room and, and totally altered the tone of the conversation we we're going to have. And that allows you to reach a certain group of people. The problem is, if I do this this week and something else next week, I have an identity crisis and people don't know who to fall in love with. Because nobody falls in love with somebody when they demonstrate a multiple personality. And the danger of over-preparing for leadership is that one week you want to be Bethel. And the next week you want to be Hillsong. And the week after that you want to be a church-planting movement. And people don't know who to fall in love with. Amen? Amen. So, can, can I pray? Can I, you're now stuck up here, so let me pray. Can we pray for him? And, yeah, so, so Lord, we, we thank you so much for the promises of Scripture that define us as sons of the Most High. We thank you, Lord, that you are able to do and desire to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could hope or imagine, according to the power at work that is at work within us. Lord, we recognize the power of God at work in this man. We recognize your power at work in this house. We thank you that you will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can hope or imagine. That our imagining is nothing more than a vehicle that needs steering. We give you the leadership and the steering of it. We thank you that you will cause the former and latter-day rain to fall upon this house, and every seed sown over decades will produce a harvest of amen. righteousness. And we speak that over this house and ask for it to spring forth unexpectedly and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are you, Lord. Yeah, thank you. thank you. Would it be okay if we kept the lights like this for a bit? Is that all right? Um, If you have an app, Bible app, or would like to follow on in in a text, um, I'd like to take you as an introduction, a conversation to uh, Matthew 17, the story of Jesus' transfiguration. Uh, And then while you kind of get your bearings around that, I thought I'd just tell you one or two more things about Father's House, if that's okay. Is that all right? Some of the stuff we get to do we're so excited about. Um, So we started small groups this year. I wasn't really comfortable with the concept of small groups, um, at least the way I'd experienced them uh, until this year. Uh, It happened upon a model that we are really passionate about. We launched small groups at the beginning of this year, uh, launching 110 small groups with 1,200 people in small groups. And that has proven to be incredible, incredible. Uh, My advice to you on that is keep at it until you find a solution. There there is one that'll work for you because it's powerful. We um, run a social upliftment program called, um, uh, well, there are about five that fall under one umbrella, Um, Some are skills development to train people on how to get a job. Others are coffee barista training academy, for instance. So we train all the baristas for Wimpy in South Africa. So uh, any any day now you'll be having a cup of coffee and you'll know one of our guys got trained right there at church. They come to church and get trained at the coffee machines. And then the execs of famous brands come and graduate them sitting in a church service. I think mean, that's absolutely amazing. We, we also run a program called Love Story. So Love Story is a grassroots, where people are at, feeding project. Um, and so we provide 50,000 meals a month to people who have no food. And we feed every homeless person who lives in the inner city. There are around 400. And every day they get a hot meal. And we set up that soup kitchen and feed them in front of our town hall. Which is absolutely amazing because as the counselors come out from their day's work, uh, they're going to go straight past our soup kitchen and sometimes they help. Amazing. Absolutely, sometimes they help. I think it's amazing. It's a, 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 some of the homeless guys are characters and the guys are usually homeless because there's something else going on, right? Uh, characters. The other day I was there and, and um, this guy kept asking for his laptop. And I thought, okay, he's having one of those days. Uh, it, 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 it turns out the polystyrene packaging uh, is the laptop. Yeah, man. That's adding value to someone's life. Uh, but but I thought I would tell you I'd tell you about the, the the simple small steps and. And how powerful that is before we get to this uh, story in Matthew um, 17. Uh, Love Story was founded by a couple in our church. You will know this couple, and I don't know how you feel about them. So I thought I would just prime you by saying they're very nice people. It's founded by Luke and Elaine Watson, the rugby player, um, who, who is in my congregation. And I often joke and tell him that I passed the Father's house with one hand. And Luke with the other. (laughs) Because because he is is quite a force. But I've known him for about 20 years. And when he was still playing rugby at the Stormers, um, I'd go visit him. His family would pay me to go and disciple him. And I'd I'd fly out and go and see him every second week for a day. I did that for two years. And and then every now and then he would say, Hey, I feel like taking a drive. You want to come with? No problem. Jump in the car. And he'd go and buy five or six buckets of KFC and go and find the guys living in the bush. He knew where they were. And he would sit with them and eat a meal. When nobody had a camera or nobody cared, I mean, it just really didn't matter. When he came back to the city, um, he said, I kind of, that's my passion. Other than rugby, I want to do something for people. And. And so we empowered him to start Love Story and as a feeding program uh, that now covers those 50,000 meals in every homeless person who lives in our city. And he goes almost every night and feeds them himself. Isn't that incredible? He, he also has another gift, a gift that uh, I've only seen about two or three times in my life. Not, one, not a particular gift I pray for. You know there's some gifts you want and desire. Don't be too spiritual. First Corinthians 14, one earnestly desires spiritual gifts, especially that you should prophesy. So we can desire some. This one isn't on my list. He's like a one-to-one discipler. But at next level, he'll move someone in his house until he feels they're back on track and then kind of Cheer them on as they go to their next season. Our, our worship leader is a young man called Mark. He's um, been on staff for two years. He's got a phenomenal voice. People just burst into tears when he starts singing. Um, and, but he was involved in a church when he was a bit younger at 17, 18, and he had his 18th birthday party, and his friends had a little celebration with him, and, and he had a beer. And somebody took a photo of that moment, and the church fired him. So he kind of went off the rails and was gigging in bars. And so Luke comes back into town and he's like, George, what's your deal with worship? I feel like your worship space needs. Uh, I said, well, I know, but I can't sing. Can you? And he said, no, and he, he really, really, yeah, he really can't, he really can't sing. He, he does passionately sing, but, but it's, it's, it's not recordable. And he knows this, he knows this. He does, he does know it, it's not, reco- it's not recordable. It's not. It's not fixable either. Um, and so he said, well, I, 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 think, I think we need to do something about that. And I said, well, let's pray about it. And he said, you know what? I remember a young kid in the church I attended a little while ago. He was a little kid, 17, 18. What's happened to him? I said, i got no idea. He found him on Facebook. And he was giving in a place called Barney's at the time in Port Elizabeth. And um, he just went right up to the stage and started unplugging his equipment. So Luke can get away with that. You know that, right? You don't know a lot maybe about him, but he can get away with that. Nobody was going to, you know, they took photos of it, you know. But, um, and he unplugged the stuff and he took his guitars and he put his arm around him and said, you're not living the calling you're supposed to live. You're coming home with me. And moved him into his house for six months, did Bible study conversation every morning and every evening, and six months later, he came onto staff at Father's House and is now, is now the, youth, the worship pastor there. Uh, he's married and is expecting his first child in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Just by the way, our young adults pastor also spent six months in Luke's house and is now our young adults pastor. And our young guns pastor for grades six to nine Spent a year in Luke's house. Luke found him on the street. Wow, so cool. Having run away from a children's home. And said, you're not living, you're calling, you're moving in with me. So good. There was a time Luke thought, I might need to move in with him. That I <laughs> threw, threw the line. It's like, no. Um, <laughs> instead, he moved in with me. Um, it... it um, it is even to this day when one of those youngsters have a bit of a wobble and they're feeling insecure, I phone Luke. I say, you need to take your sons for a, for a lunch. They're insecure. They're not in a good space. You know, Mark's a great worship guy. Now he's got 10 other guys just as great in worship. And every now and then when one of them leads really, really well, he feels insecure. I can see it on his face. It's like immediate. It's immediate. And Luke will text me and go, what's Mark's face looking like? And I'd reply saying, Mark's face looks like it needs to go to lunch with you. And then he'll know it, that's what's going to happen. So no matter what else you think about him from a rugby point of view, he does. he's changing lives on a one-to-one conversation point. And he won't go public on it, so I have to, you know. Um, nobody else is going to. I, I, I tell you that because the accumulation of small intentional things produces power in kingdom building. And, and I wanted to take you to Matthew 17. If, if we can just have a, I, I know you, you know the text, but Matthew 17 says after six days, just context, a, a day or two before this, Jesus had fed the 4,000. Big crowd of people following him around after six days. Jesus took with him Peter James and John, the brother of James, and led him up a high mountain by themselves. The message translation says he took them up as climbing companions and then he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light and Just then uh, there then appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with jesus a lot of preaching i 've heard about what they were talking about to be honest i, I don 't really know right but but they were hanging out, a uh, good place to be hanging out. Peter, Peter said to Jesus, now, now can I just point out, Peter is demonstrating a, a usual tendency we all have in ministry. There are some moments where you just shouldn't talk. <laughs> Peter is so completely out of sync of what's going on that he comes up with a ridiculous idea. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters Elijah's not there for the night. He's not. doesn't need to move in anywhere. He doesn't need a shelter. But Peter is ruining the moment. And he doesn't learn for a long time in his life the skill of reading the moment. Ask the guy with the ear. He doesn't, he doesn't learn to read the moment. And, and that's important. And Peter, and Peter says, one for you, one for Moses, one for Lash." And while he was still speaking, I guess God just overpowered that moment. While he was still speaking, a, a, a bright cloud covered him and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell forward, face down to the ground, terrified. Now, appropriate response, finally, from Peter. Finally, Peter, Yes. Uh, jesus uh, touched them and said Get up uh, don 't be afraid When they looked up, they saw no one except jesus it 's quite important that they saw no one except Jesus because the story was always about Jesus in the first place. I want to position to you this simple idea and then break it down to some practicalities on on leading with an understanding of who God is. My view and and I guess it 's open to discussion because this is looking at text as best you can. My view is that when Jesus got to the top of the mountain, he kind of laid his hair down and was relaxed. He was hanging out with two people he knew really well. He brought two with him to have a three with them to have a look and Jesus led his hair down, which means he led his God down enough so they could see who he really was, the bright, shining Alpha and Omega, king of kings and Lord of lords. He did not receive his status on the mountain. He revealed it to the people around him at the bottom of the mountain. he hid it because they couldn't take it, but at the top of the mountain he revealed it. He was the same guy at the bottom of the mountain, but he dialed down his deity so that he could walk in their humanity. That skill, in, in the context of revealing who the Father is, the skill of knowing how much of your brightness to shine is one of the critical leadership decisions you're going to take. Because you could be bright to the extent that people who are trying to follow you can't emulate it. So I want to encourage you, in the desire to pursue leadership in the heart of people's lives, don't let it be about demonstrating your strength compared to theirs. Step back a little and dial it down sometimes so they can feel like there is an attainable possibility in their lives. So we take too many people to the mountain on transfiguration and we reveal the full extent of all that we have. When people ask me, how long does it take you to prepare a message? I always answer the same way, 25 years. Because every message is the accumulation of every prayer and every book and every journey I have had. And I've been saved for nearly 30 years. So it all factors in. But not every message needs to have the weight of 25 or 30 years in it. And so this journey of climbing companions, you need a few climbing companions that will climb higher up so that they will see what you have seen and be excited about what you're excited about. But for the 4,000 who need to be fed, they need a humanity in who God is until they can discover the deity in who he is. And sometimes in our preaching and in our expression, we reveal a father who is indeed incredible, but so incredible we feel inferior and insecure to be able to approach him. And grace teaches us that we approach boldly with confidence the throne of grace where we might find help and mercy in time of need. So this thing about a tipping point is such a critical thing for me. I'm, I'm hoping I can be bold enough to suggest some ideas for you in your leadership style and in your structure that you can apply based on your gift mix and your personality. I, I do message series in arches, So we'll do a series for about four weeks. Then we'll end it and move on to another series. People know what it is well in advance. Um, I, I don't go seven or eight weeks unless it's like the Holy Ghost must come upon me. and For me, I, I get Bored of my own messages, so I feel like four weeks is, and then I'm tired of me, and so I need to go. So it's, it's each person has their own, you know. I understand. I got a guy in PE who preaches like fourteen week series, twelve to 14 and He does it well. I admire him. I shake his hand when I see him. I don't have that. that, I do not have that gift. Four weeks. But here's the challenge. There are certain things that you cannot introduce into your soul and the soul of a community in four weeks. You can't do a four-week series on grace. There's no way you can accomplish that into the culture of your community. You have to. So here's the thing. I did grace from every angle I could think of for about a year and a half. Straight. See now the lights are off for a good reason. Like I can't tell whether you're glad or mad. Just standing here. I don't know. I don't know. Could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. I I, I, I know that for I know that for some people, especially in Durban, if I may be this honest in Durban though that, that word is sensitive for some reason. It's, it's very, very sensitive. Grace. So I'm just gonna go in deeper. Till so it's not sensitive, but it's spiritual and it's dynamic. and it's f- I, I think I know what happened. I think some people probably handled it by being angry about law and preached against law rather than just taught what grace was. And grace would permeate everything and it would resolve the law. You don't try and fix law, you introduce grace. Law's to def- it took thousands of years for the Lord to show humanity that law doesn't work. The whole Old Testament is devoted to that idea. But it took me about a year and a half. So so I'm I'm so honored to be here, and I've been in Durban a a number of times, more so than any other city I've visited. But here's the thing. Father's house is six years old. For the first four years, I pretty much preached every message for four years straight. For two and a half years, that was five services a Sunday. And I was crazy because I got bored of my own messages. I would do the first three services in the morning on one message. And then a different preach in the second two in the evening. And I know the risk is codependence. Your community gets dependent on you and then they don't know other voices. But in our environment where 20% of the people were new every year and the pace of growth was so strong, I wanted to introduce the culture of what God had called us to be one step at a time, at a time, at a time, so that even when a guest communicator messes it up, it doesn't matter because our community knows better in that space. So they just nod and smile, nod and smile. So you understand every time a communicator comes and shares in a house, they contribute to something. If the wave of what's in your house is so strong, it doesn't matter if a communicator comes from another perspective. But if you do everything in short series and you don't consistently build something, then every communicator impacts that. Every communicator impacts that. I got to the point after about a year and a half, a few people left. A few people left along the way. You know, you are talking about getting emails. Everyone seems to get emails. Um, a few people got emails. They're like, you've got to move on to deeper stuff. I love that. I need meat. Lord, give me. You know, there's only one place in the Bible that request was ever made, right? There's only one. That, that, an actual request, give us meat. And that was in the wilderness when they got tired of the manna and they got quail, God said, No problem. No problem. That, that, I know what is meant in the New term, milk versus meat. I, I get that. But a few people left along the way, but hundreds came. And now every time we say the word grace, our community cheers. They clap for that. I could probably just get up and say, today I'm gonna just, just going to fan the flame of grace, and our church would be, I'm done. This is awesome. I'm in. Because the people who left, had I done a series to keep them, would simply have deferred the pain of them leaving on another day. So you guys have to stop preaching for people. I hope we've established that that you're not building a church for you that you would attend. You're not building a church to keep certain communities going. You're building something that consistently represents the calling that God has put in your life. And in that context, I love other churches. Because sometimes I can look at somebody and go, I know the church you should belong to. And it isn't this one. Amen? This and this one. It's okay. There's no crime in that. So here's the thing I want to encourage you to cultivate and develop. If you're going to uh, build something that represents a facet of who God is as Father, then you have to push in on that so consistently until you reach tipping point and you no longer have to work at it. It is in the foundation and the character of your house. So the question is, vision is important, get a vision statement, put it on a wall, but Can you identify the character of your community based on the consistent thing that is going out? And please don't introduce a series on God the Father and think a community is going to walk in the spirit of adoption and sonship. It's not a series. It's probably two, three years of sowing and plowing and weeding out the junk and rebuilding it and reinvesting in it until it is a harvest of righteousness and you you hardly have to work at it because the momentum carries it all by itself and here's the challenge I think we we, we we pay courtesy to the fact that the body of Christ is diverse but we don't own that sometimes to mean I've got to be so specific about what I'm called to do that it's okay for other people not to fit into that because God has a plan for this and, and it's, it's, a, it's a big deal it's a big deal. We, so we, we have a church where um, um, I, I try to keep an eye on the time because I get I get very excited here in Durban. I don't know what's going to normally sit down. You know, in front of two thousand people, eighteen hundred, I sit down. Um, but we we intentionally try to reach the unchurched and anti-church. That's that's one of the goals, you know. And every no, well, that's the key goal. And every now and then, somebody will come to me and say, "Hey, um, how do we go deeper?" And I'd go, "Easy, find an unchurched person." And bring them. Well, that's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we sign up for. And and I'm not saying that's your context. That's mine. That's our wiring. And every time people step into that, the house has an anointing in that space. And it's fruitful. Please don't ask people to plow at something your ground is not fruitful for. Because you'll burn them out. You'll burn them out. Trying to have a community church here and an outreach church the next Sunday. And the next series is a family church. And on one week you're inviting visitors and the next week you're holding hands. <laughs> Unchurched people do not get that. Can we just have an amen? Am I ruining somebody's day? I can't see you. I can't see you. So I'm just standing here. I can't see you. So I'm just standing here. You can't do that. It's it's very confusing. No radio station is ever a win by playing classical and then chaotic and then uh, metal. And then you've got to pick a thing and that's who you are. Your adult contemporary or your gospel or whatever you are, be that excellently. And the tipping point issue for me is do you have the, the discernment to shoulder whatever it is you're called to do and keep at it through small actions until you Tip it over and it becomes culture in your church. I ask for the lights to be turned. Of course, that's what we're accustomed to at Father's House. There's a reason why we do that. You might think it's such a small thing, but tipping point definition the accumulation of small steps that reaches a point of an irreversible change. Unchurched people don't want to be noticed. They don't want to be noticed. So I was chatting to uh, someone from Glenridge earlier. D- Dawn, I want to say, is that right? Thank you. Wow, thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> if it's not a Greek name, I just battle sometimes. And, and we were talking about how do we how do we deal how do we deal with visitors and what's our thing. And, and I, I know different churches do things in different ways. And our way is discreet. So we've got stuff on the seat, every seat. At the end of every message, I ask people to respond on a card. We call it a hello card, and I ask people to respond. And here's what happened. We get 180 cards back every weekend. I get an executive summary on a spreadsheet every Monday morning when the interns are done with it. Around 30 or 40 of those people will be first-time visitors, and about 18 to 20 will have committed their lives to the Lord on that day. It's written down there. We make it as discreet. You might say, well, Christ died on the cross publicly, so they must also publicly. It's just not in the Bible. It just isn't. I did it like that because I was Pentecostal. There was a revival in those days. You got up off your seat. You punched your friend on the way out, you threw your alcohol and cigarettes in the aisle, and you landed on your face in the front. It was a vibe. (laughs) But it's not a vibe anymore. Uh, Should I not have said, should I not have said. How many of you remember those days, just by the way, like that was a revival. And super revival, super revival in Pentecostalism was when the God didn't need the preacher. When that stuff started happening during the singing, then you knew the Spirit had broken out and there was going to be a... But that is not where the Spirit of the Lord is moving in the season. And you've got to bring a tipping point I mean, unless you have a special calling on that, you're going to have a tipping point in your community. So here's what I really want to encourage you on. In the story of the mountain of transfiguration, how good are you at discerning deity from humanity? And what are the progressive steps you're thinking about in growing people from understanding the humanity of Christ to the deity of who God is? Do you have a plan for that? Is there a journey? You know that the disciples, as I'm sure you know, because you're pastors, many of you, it took Jesus three years to ask the disciples the question, who do you say that I am? And they weren't even completely right after three years. So can people be your friend for three years before you require of them an outright commitment? Hey, man, that's long. So, so people say, how many people at Father's house? I actually don't know the answer to that, to be totally honest with you. I, I know we see probably about um, 3,500 people or so on a Sunday. In that crowd of people, there are some saved people, and they would probably be the church. But I don't think everybody in front of me is the church. I think it's the crowd. Yeah, and in the crowd, there is a church. And in that church, there is a call. And my passion is to make sure we keep having a crowd that moves into a community that becomes part of a core. And different people have different following distances. They're, not everybody is a close follower. Okay, I know this sounds offensive, but hear me out on this. Give me, give me another chance. Give me another chance. Sometimes when Jesus healed people, he would say to them, don't even bury your mother and father, follow me. He knew them. If you go back home, you're going know, to get stuck in your habits, drop everybody, delete your Facebook account, come with me. There were other people that Jesus healed who would say, go back home and go tell people what the Lord has done. And then there were other people, and I don't know whether Jesus just looked at them and thought, you're going to be high maintenance. But Jesus literally said, go home and don't tell anyone, that I was involved in your life. Can we have an amen on that? Amen? Following distance, some people just, I've got, people, I've got a guy in our church, I've got a guy in our church, he's a business guy, travels all over the world. He comes four times a year, maybe maybe five times a year. Uh, Easter, you know, Christmas, but Father's Day, uh, a couple of other moments. And every time he comes, he comes to me afterwards and he shakes my hand and says, you know what, this is my home. I feel right at home here. I just feel this is where God wants me to be. I'm just staring at him. I'm thinking, bro, I can literally count how many times you're here. Um, but he, but he, has a, he has a special gift that he is called to, and his, I would love his following distance to be closer. You know, I'd love that. But he has a calling that is unique to him. I've never met a guy quite like that. He rescued us financially by withdrawing his tithe. Can I tell you that story briefly? I, I, I see the two bosses are discussing, so I'm nervous. No, 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 I'm, I'm going to keep going. When we moved into our bigger building, we were really unprepared. We, we prepared the building um, for people, but we didn't prepare people for the building. And if you ever do a move please phone me about that and I'll give you advice because I was all about painting the building the right tone and I didn't tell people what would happen when you get to a bigger building like your pastor isn't going to be making the coffee anymore and, and we hit a wobble over that and a number of other things and so this huge leap of faith that required a doubling of our income within three months in order to make it financially viable just hit a wall just hit a wall we had to double our income and so I called this business guy and he advised me through a couple of things and he, I, he, he, was, he was a substantial giver. I knew he was because he always gave by check. And so I said to him, you need to help us to structure this thing and solve it and like all good pastors, I'm thinking, well, we'll give a bit of advice and maybe some cash. You, know? <laughs> you, did, you did think that, you did think that. Don't, 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 don't. come on, let's keep it real. So he said, so he said, so he said here's, what, here's what I'm, and I couldn't phone my dad again. He, had, he really felt like he had funded my madness. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an hour a week. I'm going to give you an hour a week to talk you through your spiritual understanding on wealth, money, tithing, and leadership in this space. Oh, and to make sure you're not dependent on me, I'm withdrawing my tithe. It was such a cool meeting. If there ever was a day that I wanted to drink, I mean, if there ever was a day I just wanted to end it with a beer, like everybody else, it was that day. And he gave us an hour a week, and he navigated us through why we don't talk about giving, what my heart issue was on it, whether my not talking about it was pride, he navigated all that stuff to the point that I wanted to drink every week. And then we, got, we, we navigated our leadership on that. We spoke to our creditors. We did all kinds of things. Um, and God transformed our understanding of that space. And within six months, we had reached our giving target and paid back our debts. And at the end of the six months, He did two things that absolutely blew my mind. He he said, I I need to have one last meeting with you on this matter. And he took me for a coffee and he said, I'm going to give you the last two pieces of advice on this topic. If you ever need me again, I'm available. First of all, here's my backdated tithe because I was never going to rob God anyway. It's not your money. And he gave a check for the six months. And the second thing he said was, don't be scared to spend to grow vision. You have to cut back to get out of debt, but I don't want you to have a debt mindset in your decision-making going forward. You don't cut an organization to greatness. You spend an organization to greatness. From a business guy. He comes four or five times a year. Every time he comes, he gives a check of about a million rand. He has a different following distance. If I try and stick him in a discipleship program that makes him accountable once a week, I'm going to lose him. He's not in that space, guys. He's not in that space. He's allowed to be in the space he's in. My only concern becomes when he isn't able to be a worshiper of Christ because he's allowed his following distance to get him into trouble. That's something different. But you and I know people who need to be in church twice a week and a discipleship group and serve in a team just to keep their minds right. Can we have an amen on that? We, we, we know there are those people who are in that space. And so I want to encourage you, do you have a clear picture of the accumulation of things, small things you need to do to get to tipping point in your community? And if tipping point was achieved, what would it look like? What would it look like? Have you ever been in a church service where in the first song it feels like the Holy Ghost is all over it and there is free flow of worship and there is free flow of prayer? Let me tell you, that was not achieved by a song or even a worship leader. It was achieved by consistent small acts of prophetic word, of teaching and of ministry until that community got to a tipping point and now it is the culture of that family. And poor leadership would be for you to step into that and go counter to the culture of what God has established there. That's why you gotta empty yourself. I have literally in my community in the five or six years that I've been pastoring Father's House, I don't think I have ever in a meeting publicly gone into tongues like yesterday when we prayed for universities and Haiti because my community culture is not that and I would undo huge amounts of trust if I did that on a Sunday but I knew here your culture is comfortable with that and so here's the thing when we say we become all things to all men so that by some means we might win some what is the real term cost for you in that space how do you relate that to fathering? Well, if you have a few kids, and, and I know some people who have six. <laughs> if you have a few kids, do you not know that it is your fatherly responsibility to unpack the character of each child and find a connection point with that child? Whether you've got somebody who is into or not into the thing you're into does not Uh, excuse you from finding a connecting point and fathering the nature and character of that child distinct from any other. And we lay aside, I'm not a father, but we lay aside our own preference in that in order to do two things, in order to make a connection with the character and to be appropriate with the season. That season for that child, your church has seasons, your community, your school group has a season, and you have to sacrifice yourself in the process of saying, Lord, help me make a connection with this season and this character in this house. It's probably the toughest leadership decision you'll ever make. It's that moment that every true leader has to make, come to and that is not, not my will, but yours be done. If you've never come to that moment, I'm brave enough to say you have not yet crossed over the threshold of what leadership takes sacrificially. Very good.
2: Yeah.
1: I, I, will wrap up, I will wrap up now. Um, I hit a crisis personally um, when we moved to the new building. I didn't like the church I landed up with. always sit when I get serious, just so you know. Um, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. I, I knew almost everybody in the previous building. We, I made coffee for them. We were friends. And I just saw all these faces that kept coming, and I didn't know them. And they weren't my friend. Is this making sense? Yeah. It wasn't friends anymore. It was, it was this thing. I didn't like it. I got it into my head that maybe, you know, I'm... I'm I'm like David, you know, I I established territory, but we need to find a Solomon who will build the house. Got in my head, season was done. And I had to go and see someone, an old pastor who I respected. And I said, my head's not in a good space. Church is growing, by the way. My head's not in a good space, I don't know what to do. He said, what's the problem? I said, the church keeps growing. And he said, okay we'll have to unpack that I said we're in the third building in five years he said okay I said it bothers me a bit I feel like we're in this uncontrollable setup. he said okay so far everything's good I said what's your advice such an old guy such a funny guy I said well here's, here's my advice if you've got six children you buy a house with seven rooms you don't get rid of your children And you know what that made me think about? What am I willing to get rid of in order to keep what God is doing? And that was my preference stuff. I had to preference stuff. From a guy who used to make coffee in the front and I sit in a room called the green room and they put makeup on me before I speak. Because it's better for the streaming and the camera and I don't know, I've got blotches. I don't know what the deal is. I'm a single guy Every time I sit there and have makeup put on, I rebuke Satan. I do all kinds of internal conflict. But with all due respect to my preferences, George, you get rid of every personal preference in exchange for the opportunity to express the gospel in the culture that God has created in your house. Because Father's... Don't look for validation from sons. Sons look for validation from fathers. And so it's, it's these small, consistent steps. It's the sign outside that says, make yourself at home. It's the tone in the building and the tone in the music and the conversation. It's the style of preaching It's honoring you Enough to be consistent with it. It's emptying yourself so that somebody else can feel at home. It's being more humanity to the 4,000. And smart enough to take a handful fully into the glory of the brightness of the deity. Because not everybody can handle it at every time. Following distances are different. Just as children are different. And so what? I get one more shot with you tomorrow, right? Um, so, I, I want to encourage you. Would you mind if we stood for a moment? Can we stand? Uh, yeah. Okay, right. Uh, <laughs> okay, reverse psychology.
0: Can you take just, let's stretch our legs a little? Thank you. Do you mind if we stand? Are oh, you out there? Just stretch your legs. We're going to sing. We can sing of your love forever now.
1: Oh, amen. Thank you, Lord.
0: Cool. Let's take a seat. I'd like to ask George a couple of uh, questions that hopefully he'll answer. There are a couple of things that uh, I really enjoy about George that I'm sure you're already seeing. And he's super comfortable in his own skin. I'm sure you can see that. Like we said last night, that takes a large measure of security. And um, we've heard some incredible stories of God's fruitfulness within the Father's house. In the context of consistently small steps in the same direction, we're talking about, we've heard some wonderful outcomes. We're talking about how, as leaders, senior leaders, and core leaders, and elders, and pastors, we can move in the direction of the Father's hearts that we see the outcomes. I want to ask you okay. to get personal with us around your humanity. Okay. I just, I love that. Okay. And it takes a bold person to get flesh down on the ground with people. Yeah. My question to you is, what, what has been your personal journey? Maybe pull out three things that can help Ryan, that can help Mark. Josie, around the consistently small steps with your journey with your father that keeps you in humanity, that keeps you comfortable in your own skin, that enables you to be bold and secure enough to make decisive leadership decisions, because the man that we're hearing tonight is able to make those, but it comes from somewhere. What are those small, consistent steps with your father that enables you to do so? Just maybe wow. three.
1: It wow. oh, can be more. Just three. Um, I think if there are critical moments, I think every one of us have critical moments in our journey. There have been certain critical moments in my walk with God that shaped a clarity about the space I'm called to and the space I'm not called to. And having a distinction between the two makes you a good, decisive person. I'd like to, I'd like to share one it was particularly moving to me in my journey with him, and I saw something there that I, I still talk about in, in membership classes. I not really have membership classes, but, but, but I, if you want to get involved kind of class. Um, when I was still in the Assemblies of God, uh, there was a guy who had suffered from cerebral palsy all his life who um, used to wheel himself in his wheelchair to church. Hmm. Now you get me emotional on some topics who, who willed himself in the rain and in the snow and in the whatever, and he wanted to be baptized in water, and he wanted me to baptize him. But he had got it into his heart that he would be healed on the day of his baptism. And so he prayed, and he fasted, and he is significantly disfigured and deformed, and and um, but came to church every Sunday. And I had the task of picking him out of the wheelchair and baptizing him. And then feeling him trying to straighten out in my arms. And then then watching him go through a one-year journey, asking himself what he did wrong. Because the gospel he came to be taught and understood was if you positioned yourself well enough. And if you were prepared enough and if you were cleansed enough, God would heal you. Mm -hmm. And it took him about two years to get back to church. Through the persistence actually of a student who kept going and talking to him and breaking down that wall. He never received his healing from cerebral palsy, but he did receive his healing from law. And it made me understand why Jesus told a man that he was free of his sins even before he told him he was healed from his infirmity, and that when put under pressure, he did both because humanity looked for the external and God was all about the internal, and that became one of the most critical moments for me around looking for the internal progress of people and not external signs. And to make decisions around what's actually going on spiritually not what's going on externally. Because people respect you enough to do what you ask and behave like you would like. And they take on the burden of behaving beyond their revelation. Out of love for you. And it's a burden too difficult to bear. It's a burden too difficult to bear for people to behave beyond their revelation. Because they, here's the bottom line: they so desperately would like your affirmation that they would behave falsely in exchange for your affection. Do we in church create an environment where it is necessary for people to be fake in order to feel loved? And it, it's, it's, it's forced me to review, but what am I getting out of this thing? What, how, how does this really make sense around the gospel message? How, how does, I, I know Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more. And I know, I, I, I get all of that. I understand the power of all of that and the dynamic of those relationships. But I would hate for anybody to have to be a certain kind of person in the body of Christ in order to feel loved. I would like for people to feel loved until they have reached the revelation of their transformation, that makes sense. Yeah. And perhaps, and perhaps some of the challenge in our in our leadership style is is we we measure the progress in people so weirdly. And really, the way we should measure it is how loved they experience their journey with God. Are you loved? Do you feel? Um, one one quick story uh, um, about that. Uh, um, a, a lady came to the front in the previous building. I'd seen her right at the back, and she seemed angry, you know. So, you know, every now and then you kind of hope that person doesn't want to have a conversation. I just thought, this is going to be tough. And she came to the front after after the service, and you, you could tell she'd been burdened and conflicted and all kinds of things. And just as the music changed songs... You know, when you get that unbelievably awkward quiet at church, at the top of her voice, in a very manly voice, she said, that was an effing good service. Brilliant. She used the full word, of course. Um, it was, no, no, no. It was, it was so awkward. You could just sense the awkwardness. And then she said, um, I said, is this your first time? And she said, it's my first time in the building but not the first time I've heard your message. And I thought, well, what what does that mean? She said, well, I'm actually a chef in one of the restaurants on the street, but I've had a tough life and I'm tattooed and I've got earrings on both ears all the way up and, and I wasn't so sure that people like me can come to places like this. So on the way home, I'd go to the outside of your building and sit against the window and listen to the message. It took her about two months to come inside for her to be able to answer the question, do people like us allow people like them in our space? It's hectically sad that people even have to ask that. It's hectically sad. And here's the reason why. Anytime you say that a certain group people or type of person or type of situation can't come in through the door, I'm not talking about leadership and can't come in through the door, then what you are saying in your mind, the gospel you believe in is not likely to be effective with that person. Well, it won't be long and your gospel is, is pretty small. So my attitude is I believe in the gospel of grace so much. Bring me any human being with any condition and put them under the sound of the gospel. Their lives are going to change. It's going to change. It takes her the rest of her life to figure out who I, her, what her identity is. What is that to me? What is that to me? Remember there was a disciple who came to Jesus and said, we found another disciple casting out demons in your name. We told him to stop. Jesus makes two radical statements there. The first statement he says, well, I've got sheep in other pens you know not of. Very big unpack statement, that. And the second thing he said is, what is that to you? He goes on to say, you just do your journey. You do you and let other people be them. And I just feel like if you could find in your heart enough fathering love for all of humanity, rather than the kind you connect with, your church will explode with hurting people. Um,
0: You made a comment a couple of weeks ago, and you said to me, I think we were driving somewhere, you said, grace always wins. And um, it sounds like the Father's house is super messy, Mm. from what you've just described f in good service hmm. <laughs> kind of church I like to be a part of <laughs> oh, and um but there there That's are people mean. in our midst yeah um, church leaders that might be uncomfortable with with mess and they might say to you George you're an antinomian you you you're not into the law you know you're just into greasy grace how would you differentiate mess and what is labeled as hyper grace, greasy grace, come on the Father's arms aren't that wide. F-
1: f- f- firstly, there is an assumption that law is that law- okay to ask a question? F- f- firstly, there. Don't worry, I've got some questions for you after this. Firstly. Stepping down and the guitar. <laughs> Firstly, there is an assumption that law is not messy. And that's simply not true. All that happens in a legalistic environment is that you're left with the people who survived it. (laughs) (laughs) And you're not willing to count the people you lost to get the people you're left with. Don't tell me you've got 5,000 people in your church but 15,000 people will never want to hear about Christianity ever again thanks to your methods. Because that's not a win. That is not a win. That is self-deception all the way. You're making my job harder because you're leaving more casualties than you're creating heal- healings that's not on stop it stop so that's that's the first thing the second thing is um, uh, it is it is messy it is messy and I'm I'm I, I'm not a I'm not a parent but you were a child how how messy is parenting how messy is it? I've been in some of your cars. <laughs> don't come here and talk about messy grace.
0: That's
1: fine. Adam, don't come here and talk about messy grace. You, you had half the beach in the back of your car the other day, bro. I love you, but that's a fact. I thought, well, life's happening here. Uh, G- G- Jesus, Jesus used a much more crude uh, illustration. Uh, he said that an ox pen uh, that has no ox is very clean.
2: clean.
1: What he was saying is, if you want to deal with living things, you're going to have to deal with living stuff, life. Good. If you want to deal with law, and you're dealing with the letter of the law, it's going to be neat. You can file that away, um, but it will also be lifeless. Yeah. So you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to pick. See, here's the thing. Uh, I get brave enough about this topic to say that, although it is true that sin put Christ on the cross, it's, it's not entirely Greek. Good. Law Put Christ on the cross because he nailed the handwritings that were against us. The law that defined you as a sinner had to be put on the cross so that you couldn't do anything that would later constitute a new sin that would need to be sacrificed. So now you keep going to the law that's on a cross somewhere, but you want resurrection life in your church, but you're still there. You're just three days away. Just keep going. Sundays are coming. Don't stop. You're nearly there. You're nearly there. I'm 100% mean that. 100% mean that. You're nearly there. The, the, the handwritings that were against us is the law. See, see, in order for you to be a liar, there is a law that says you must always tell the truth. And God, in order to redeem us from that spirit, had to take the law and nail it and say, now I'm going to teach you to have integrity, not because the law requires it, but because your character defines it. You see, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 says, uh, we all know it, right, for, for the fruit of the Spirit to love joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, power versus the next verse, against, which such, against such there is no law. Here's what he's saying, I can, I can have a law that tells you you may not lie, but I can't have a law that tells you you must have joy. So if you settle for the law, you settle for something that's not livable. If you settle for grace, no law is required because I can't legislate to someone that they should have peace. Against such there is no law. We don't need a law for this thing. It's such a higher level that the law is playing in the pediatrics of faith. Grace elevates it way above that to being able to do stuff and live in space that the law does not require. So, So, um, every now and then a preacher will come and preach at our church and I love him dearly and then they'll end with law. And it'll sadden me. And and, if you say, it looks like this, it looks like this. If you feel you've disappointed God, and you've backslidden. This is an opportunity to recommit. That whole sentence hurts me. Because by definition, what you are saying is, for that moment of time, you were lesser son. And I need for you to do something about it in order to activate me being a good father. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. That is not in the Bible. And you need to make your God bigger in order to... I'm getting really into trouble here tonight, aren't I? You're going to ship me out, aren't you? You need to make your God bigger because here's the deal. If you subscribe to that idea, then the implication is that there are people out there who will present to God an unparentable problem. That there are people out there in your community who will create for God a problem of such a nature that he himself will say, I can't handle this, and distance himself. Well, then he's not Alpha and Omega. Then he's a lesser something, but he's not king of the universe. He's definitely not that. Because we should never say that there is a problem created by a son that our heavenly perfect father cannot parent. He's got to be perfect in all his ways. And that's not just a song. He's got to be perfect. perfect father. He, he even does a comparison between us. He says, well, you, 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 you earthly fathers, you, you, you evil fathers know how to give good gifts to your children. How, how much more? I mean, he's, he's, he's like, the best of you is evil compared to me is what he's saying. Best of you can't come close to what I can do as a father. That's wild. That is wild. Okay, so uh, it's as much trouble as I think.
0: So, that's great. More trouble to come. (laughs) So, someone in your congregation is struggling, point one of the question, with sin. With sin. Yeah, just keeps messing up. Yeah. Point two of the question, someone, the younger brother. First question. Second question, the older brother. What what would you say to the younger brother as a leader with the father's heart? What would you say, do to the older brother in your midst as a leader with the father's heart?
1: So so my impression, my view of that is that all sin is the outflow of a damaged image in our relationship with Christ. I behave that way because of my inferiority and insecurity in my identity before God. Now I can spend all week weeding out the behavior, or I have to constantly reinstate him to his created in the image of God, and those things dry up by themselves. Are you patient enough to let that thing dry up while this thing fills up? Please be, because as a parent, you might have to wait a lifetime with some of your kids. So I don't see why God doesn't have to wait a lifetime for some of us. We tease the children of Israel for their 40 years in the wilderness. I don't. I'm very grateful. Because if they messed up for 40 years or the cloud above them and a pillar by day, I'm so glad he's not measuring my progress by Sunday's. Don't judge them because their whole wilderness journey is the same as our salvation journey. The Bible in Corinthians tells us that. The Bible in Corinthians says when they walked through the Red Sea, it was their baptism. When they were under the cloud and the pillar, it was their Holy Spirit encounter. When they ate the manna and developed their journey, it was their bread of life. Still 40 years. Still 40 years. So, So to the younger brother, you need to get your image of God right in who you are. And, and how you're journeying. To, to the older brother, it's something I'm, I'm repeatedly having to teach in our community. Uh, you have to keep the door open for the next person in order to keep your heart in a good space. And here's what I, mean ab- what I mean by that. The longer you progress in your journey, there is a human nature tendency to think that you had something to do with your progress. You award yourself, and to be honest, so do we pastors. We award people with roles based on progress. So we give people the impression that had something to do with it. But the Bible tells us that even our ability to mature is graced to us by God. For no man comes to the Father except he draws him. So there is this process that God enacts and initiates for our own progress. So you have to keep your heart pure about that all the time. Uh, I got asked this really weird question. I, uh, there's an email address that people can ask questions to, and I try and answer one or two of them on a Sunday. I got asked this really weird question. Uh, why was God so cruel, and he didn't allow Moses to go into the promised land? That he could see it, but he couldn't enter it. And, and here's the thing. The answer's always going to be the same and always going to be very important because, because John 1, I mean John one, twenty seven tells us that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Moses represented the law. He was not allowed to enter in so that you and I would know that the law can get you to the door. But only Jesus can get you to the promised land. And so, and so the son, Joshua, Jesus of the Old Testament, entered the promised land. And Moses dies outside, not for his crime, but as a testimony and a play for you and I. To remember, the law never gets you in; mm-hmm. only Jesus. You've got to purge your heart from that stuff all the time, all the time. And older brother syndrome, that happens like this, where where you develop a sense of superiority in your own journey, and you had nothing to do with it. I mean, you might say, "Okay, but but I, but I said yes, and I sacrificed, and I did all those kinds of things." Mm, no. Not even that. Because in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We had no clue where this was going. Let's be serious. So we can't take credit for it.
0: Can you take two more questions? Is this this has been lacquer, of. Hey? So, George, how do you walk with your papa in heaven when you've acted like a younger brother? Wow. And then, you know, the second part to that question is being an older brother. Hmm. How does Father respond to you? How do you respond to him?
1: I think the most vulnerable moment in your journey is the duration of time between recognizing you've stepped out of your character and stepping back in. What I'm saying is, it's quite crucial because it's it's dangerous a little bit. And here's why. I believe salvation changes you from a sin character to a saved character. And it is more natural for you to live in your saved identity than your sin identity. When I step into a sin identity, I'm behaving out of new character. The reason why that's important is if you don't get that right, um, and, and we try to contain people's behavior to behave saved. You know, there's only one other place in the world where we contain people's behavior so they don't do harm to themselves and others. It's a prison. So the danger is to try and contain people. So what we're implying is if you let them to themselves, they would behave badly. Well, then they're not saved. Then they're not saved. If you leave them to themselves and their selves are redeemed, the natural inclination and behavior will be to be righteous. Christianity is not a control mechanism to micromanage sin nature, sin nature is on the cross. Christianity is fanning the flame of righteous nature until it overshadows and overpowers any residual effect of sin nature. If you don't do that, then you guys will manage the dead version and underfeed the living version. That's a double consequence. So, so I really want to encourage you to be... So, it's, it's in, it's, so I recognize when I step out of that, I'm stepping out of character. I don't have to re-request for character to become Christian. I step back into character. Keep the distance short. I mean, you've got to love Jesus saying... Saying to Peter, hey Peter, um, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, and when you come back, you're so going to mess up. But do me a favor, when you come back, would you feed the sheep? We pick up where we left off on your destiny after you've messed up denying me three times. But I'm just going to mention to you when you come back, because you're going to make a mess, but you are going to come back. I'm ready for you. Your destiny carries on. As far as the older brother is concerned in walking in relationship...
0: You are naturally an older brother.
1: Yeah, I am. And thank you for those of you who sent messages to my brother. He phoned me. Somebody sent him a photo from this room saying, this is your brother speaking, but don't worry you're still the better-looking one. So I'd like to meet that person and just have, see if you're using a smartphone or a... No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, in, 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 resp- in, resp- in respect of our walk with God as the older brother behavior to the younger brother, please don't lose the miracle of the lesson from the father. He didn't say anything to the older brother around why this brother should be let home. He asked him why he didn't ask for his own revival. You were always with me if you had asked, I'd have given you. We get so hung up over what God's doing in somebody else, we don't step into our own calling. The crime of the older brother was he lost track of where he was. And every time I step into that thing and I look around at other churches, at other stuff, every time that happens, I... Remember, but I know what I'm called to do, and I'm asking God over that. I had this one church visit us one day in our city, I asked if they could roam around. I said, Absolutely, open hearted policy to anyone. Within like three days, absolutely everything we did, they do. The card is called a hello card. Short of tipixing out like the name and just sticking another, everything. He sent me a message, was like, This works so well. I'm like, I know. Took us years to get there. I know. I was a little annoyed, you know, just a little annoyed. I was like, "I'll call my design guys and change everything." And they were like, "Why?" And I was like, "Oh, this guy's been doing it, and now it's people are confused, and his church's name is confusing. It's similar, but it's not." And 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 my design guy just said, "Living childish." I fired him. No. He said, you're being challenged because you told us anytime anybody walks through these doors, we are free to help them no matter what the request is. So would you just get focused on what you're supposed to do and let that guy do what he's supposed to do? It doesn't affect us in any way. The, fa- the fact that God is redeeming somebody else who was a prodigal does not diminish his ability to build into your life a destiny far greater than you can ever imagine. When people ask me if I pastor the church I always wanted to, I always answer the same. I say, no, it's far better than the church I imagined. I'm so glad I don't pastor the church I imagined. What an insecure, small-minded, controlling, silly place that would be if I got to pastor the church I always wanted. Just so you know, though, Whatever your future looks like, it's going to be very uncomfortable. If you're looking for it to be comfortable, then you're thinking about your past. Because your past is familiar to you and therefore comfortable, and your future is unfamiliar and therefore uncomfortable. So, would you please stop backing off from the discomfort and get there?
0: Amazing. One last question. All right. I know what he's doing. What am I doing?
1: You're not giving me any time to ask you any. No, I'm kidding, uh, right. I'm kidding, Ryan. I'm kidding, Ryan. Yeah, okay, okay, I'm good. I didn't I'm realize good. that, but well done,
0: I'm Ryan. I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, um, we live in a nation of many different ethnic groups, people of different cultural backgrounds. Uh, in your church, um, there are just dozens and dozens and dozens.
2: Yeah.
0: So, leading with the Father's heart, what, the question is, what, what kind of father is he revealing himself as? Wow. Um,
1: because
0: from, ma- yeah. one person can say, Yes, I believe in the father. Yeah. Another person, but
1: who but, is he? But what does that mean in different contexts too? Who is he? Um so so around Scott we have we have a, a non-racial community that is well represented and it's um, My years as a pastor with students helped contribute to that. And it's a weird thing being Greek. This part you're not allowed to tell my family. But for some reason being Greek means I'm neither. So black people come to me and say, those whites. (laughs) To me. Here I am. And then the white guys come and have similar, like I'm just neither. I'm everywhere. Um, Never deliberately set out try to be multicultural. You're not going to get that right. Set out to represent what fathering looks like to different kinds of people and skin will be one of the differentiators. But there are differentiators amongst people of the same skin color. And it varies and fluctuates so intensely that if you try to If you try to engage the diversity, you're going to lose the authority. If you can bring the authority of the Father. Authority is not aggressive. I'm glad my Father has authority. Because when it's time to deal with the spirits of the princes of the power of the air, I need a Father of authority. He's not executing authority on you. He's executing authority on principalities and powers. You need to have that kind of a father. And so all of us have to make adjustments, irrespective of our cultural background and our church background, towards him, not towards multicultural. Multiculture is not an objective. It's a consequence. Because if you don't do that, you're going to wrestle with rich and poor. You're going to wrestle with educated and uneducated. You're going to wrestle with all kinds of diversity. You pull it all towards a heavenly father who has authority over all. And that's why I shared with you last night, I was intentional about that. Don't only produce sons who behave crazily because they think the father is absent. Produce sons who behave honorably because the father is present. And take him out of the equation. Keep him, keep him as father over your house and people will behave honorably. Do you have to address it sometimes from the state? Absolutely, I do. I'm, I'm allowed to, because now I fit in the middle. So I, I, I do address it sometimes. Um, but I think it's vital that you find, so it might surprise you with 30 or 40% black community, 15% colored community, and, and the rest white. We don't talk about the diversity we talk about the unity if you keep talking about how diverse we are people will start to live out diversity start talking about how united we are and people will live out their unity in the membership class or the get involved class i even joke about the different race groups in a really cool positive way i talk about involvement and in how different races generally get involved in a church would you mind if i share that for a bit because it helps you engage unity rather than diversity White people get involved in a church in one particular way usually. The pastor has to take them for coffee. Meet their friends, their kids, their pet. <laughs> have a bribe with them the following week. We've got to have chemistry. <laughs> Greet them afterwards for tea. And about three to four months will go by, they will enter into a season of praying about it. And if they're still there in about you know, month eight, you've got yourself a volunteer. Black people, at least in our context and community, if I asked a young black person to get involved in something, he would say, where? And if I said to him, would you please be an usher? He'd say, absolutely. And if 10 years time, I don't ask him to go and do something else, he'll still be an usher. And he'll leave his home early, two days early, because he's on duty. He's on duty and pastor asked him to usher. Can I have an Amen for all uh, colored people, colored people, whole nother other level of volunteering. First Sunday they meet you, they tell you, Pastor, you can rest. I'm here now. I can preach. I can lead worship. I can run a soul group. What do you need? What do you need? I'm available next weekend. Why don't you go on holiday? 100%. Is that generalizing a bit? Is it okay to laugh through some of our differences? It's okay. But, and all the colours. Is, is that
0: where you fit, George? Yeah.
1: That's, I, I can't lead worship, but I think I can. See, that's, that's, that's where it goes. Um, the point is, celebrate the unity of what God is doing, not the diversity. So often, I've often said this from the pulpit because I want to reiterate the unity. I tell our church that the biggest miracle at Father's house is that it's a group of people who shouldn't be in the same room. It's Catholics and charismatics and it's cultural groups and it's journey and deep and new. And somehow he pulls it all together. For if he be lifted up, he draws men unto himself. Yeah. Okay. Could, could we stand? Would that be okay? I'm. I'm so honored that. I'm so honored that you've given so much of your time. I'm. Wow. Yeah. Would Would it be okay if, if we prayed? We just. We did a prayer, and they Mark And <laughs> you can hold hands. I'm up here. <laughs> you can hug. You can hug. You could always you could always do that cheesy thing people do in big churches greet the person next to you, and then your second choice. You know that um, offend one half of the people in the building. Um, could could we pray? Of all the things we've talked about, I'm, I'm most concerned in, in a sort of a burden for you um, around the topic of grace. I'm burdened by it because it really is the firelighter to everything. And yet it has been abused, stretched, bashed up, used inappropriately. It's been through so much twisting that we've almost found safety in law, <laughs> Because some have made grace so messy. And I just just really want to take a moment to pray that clean. And that for you to, whatever your following distance is on grace, I love you for it. I don't need you to be where I am. I just need you to be following. I don't have a requirement on me that you need to be at a certain place in order for us to be able to see eye to eye on this. Just need you to be following him. If we never see each other again, I, I hope the one thing, the one thing, not the lights and not the commentary about stuff and not even the humor, please not that. The one thing that you will take and consider and reflect and chew on and discuss in your heart and pray over is your full exposure to the impact of the covenant of grace. The impact of it. How big a deal that is. That grace is messy, but it does win. So Lord, we thank you for your spirit that does not leave us orphaned. Lord, it is the very fact that you sent your spirit that according to Luke prevents us from feeling orphaned. For your word says that you will not abandon us, but that you will send the Spirit to us and He will lead us into all truth. And we regret that we've often represented you, Holy Spirit, as an event or an experience and not as a revealer of truth. Teach us truth. Help us to walk in the full revelation of what the gospel looks like over our lives and others. May we never develop an attitude that having received, we regret someone else receiving. Teach us, Lord, to hold the door open. Teach us, Lord, to to be gatekeepers at the house of the Lord. That ultimately, these houses are not our houses. We are merely servants. That ultimately, you're the Father. This is your place. And and what you desire, what you desire carries. Teach us the small steps that consistently build a wave. Teach us to know timing. Teach us to know when it's appropriate and when it's to hang back. Teach us to know the humanity against the equation of the deity. Teach us to know that you're always bright and shining, but sometimes you rain that back because we wouldn't have handled it. Teach us to remember that while you've been gracious to us, we need to be gracious to others so that they can figure that out too. I pray for every church represented here, every community, every family, every ministry, And I pray, Lord, for a spirit of grace, of revelation, our eyes being opened so that we could know the love of God. Our eyes don't need to be opened so we can see the sin of the world. Your eyes were opened to that. Our eyes, according to Ephesians, are to be opened so that we might know the depth and breadth and height and the incredible capacity of the love of God. The eyes don't need to see the darkness. The eyes see in the light. Help us. Help us grow that. I'm so honored to have been here and I I pray, Father, that you will refresh us all in Jesus' name.
2: Amen.